welcome back everybody to our next episode of the cybercast it's been a little bit so i'm really happy to be back with you and i'm really happy to, to talk to my friend errol weiss who's the CISO, chief information security officer at the health isac errol how are you today great tom hey, it's great to be here oh you know thanks for taking the time today i know our everybody who listens to this podcast and we are growing believe it or not in terms of our listenership um everybody is going to find this really helpful today just based on the dynamic of like everything that you've done and your journey in cyber and your life um so i think we'll we'll get right into it i just want to give for the audience i want to give a quick little overview of your um of, of your background and then we'll just jump right into some questions that sounds good okay great all right so for my listeners today i've known i've personally known errol for probably over 10 years now Errol's got one of the more interesting information security backgrounds that I've ever seen, both in threat intelligence, threat ops, and then management. Um, Errol spent 15 years in banking and finance, but in the security discipline within banking and finance. So as you can imagine, Errol definitely has a little bit of uh, a little bit of a leg up in terms of looking at specific industries, knowing that he is now the, the CISO of Health Isaac. Um, throughout your career, you've leveraged the ability to build information security strategies aligned into reducing risk, reducing risk for the business, and kind of aligning to corporate goals. So you've kind of like spanned a lot of different areas. Um, also for our listeners as well, too, um, Errol is a senior fellow at the McCrary Institute for Cyber and Critical Infrastructure Security. So the experience there is also kind of interesting, pairing with roles that you've had at City, FSI SAC, CSC, NSA. I, I couldn't even I couldn't even begin to, you know, compare you know my background to yours. So you know, with that with that, you know, th thank you for spending the time with us today. We're honored, and I'm just going to get right into some questions. If that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great. Awesome. Thank you, Errol. So, all right. So, what motivated you? Number one, which I think is really interesting. What motivated you to pursue a, a, an MS in technical management? When you were at Johns Hopkins, right? And I think this was probably why you were still working at the NSA, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, and if I and if I um, uh, even pretend to say I planned all this out, um, I'd be lying. I got really lucky and very fortunate all along the way here. So I've made some some good career moves and good decisions in in my professional development that have uh, just been really paid off for me personally and I feel very fortunate about it. So 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 on that with the uh, with the with the master's degree, you know, I was at NSA to your point. They had a wonderful program where they would give you time off, some time off from work during the week to to pursue um, your advanced studies. And I always had thought about getting an advanced degree after getting my bachelor's and I always thought about that advanced degree and found out about that program at NSA. And so, I, you know, I've got to take advantage of this while I'm here. So I applied to uh, Johns Hopkins and I um, had applied. My, my undergrad degree was a bachelor of science in computer engineering. So I applied to Hopkins and I applied to, uh, a, uh, to get a master's in their computer science program. And again, this is back in the dark ages when they would actually send you the curriculum catalog, right? in the mail. And so I'm flipping through that book and I was looking at the CS classes and for some crazy reason, I ended up on the pages that were about the technical management program. And I, and I was looking at them thinking, wow, these sound pretty interesting and, and, and more along the lines of what I wanted to pursue. And, and the other 
thing that was bothering me, Tom, was, you know, even at NSA, I saw so many times people, technical people getting promoted into management and they had no idea how to manage themselves out of a paper bag. Right. And, and I, you know, I didn't, I, I always thought that I wanted to be a team lead, be a manager somehow. And I always wanted to get into it. And I didn't want to have that experience that I saw happening back in the day. So that's really what drove me to the program. I dipped my toe in the water, took one class and I loved it. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Super cool. And you were also, you were, you were a cryptologic engineer at, at the NSA, right? Like, what was that? What was that like? And how have you seen sort of that discipline evolve into where cyber is today? Yeah. So, I mean, I was brought into that program basically because of the engineering discipline that I had coming out of grad, uh, undergrad school, uh, right out of college. It was, it was my first real job. And, and that led me to um, several different positions within NSA. So that was pretty neat. So I think, you know, like in the eight years that I spent at NSA, I probably had like three major, very different positions. And the last one being on the uh, penetration testing team inside the computer security side of the agency. Cool. Very cool. And when you think about, or do you still have, do you still have security clearance? You don't, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to kill you, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Now, um, you know, when I left there, in all seriousness, I thought I would never have a clearance ever again because I didn't think I would ever need it um, as I was pursuing a career in consulting and the private sector. And then lo and behold, you know, I find myself at Citibank some years later and uh, they want to start clearing private sector people to start working with the government on information sharing and, and uh, other strategic programs. And, and again, that surprise, surprise, there I was getting a clearance again, and uh, I still have one today. Very cool, super cool. All right, let's move on to, to Help ISAC because this is also a really interesting move and a, and a shift from like earlier in your career, not that I wanna skip any steps here, but you're the, you're the chief information security officer at Help ISAC one of the like top you know high, it's one of like the high growth ISACs right now particularly where healthcare maybe five you know five to ten years ago wasn't getting a lot of love from the cybersecurity community based right. on the fact that the, the the old adage was like there's no budget for cyber at a hospital right that's changed entirely and when you think about the driving forces behind your decision to go to the health ISAC and lead the efforts there what like what went into that decision and you know, give us an idea of, of, of Health ISAC and, and what's, what's different about Health ISAC. Yeah, that's, uh, that's another great story. So, you know, I, I, to your point earlier in the intro, you talked about all the years, you know, 15, 20 years in, in finance between places like Citibank and Bank of America and the consulting work that I had done before. So I had a lot of friends and I was very comfortable working in the finance sector. And, um, an old friend, uh, Denise Anderson, had bumped into me at an FSI stack conference one day and planted the seed in my head that uh, she was, uh, when she was the, uh, and still currently is, the president and CEO of Health ISAC, she wanted to build out a threat operations center and, and, and an, an intelligence capability for the Health ISAC members as part of what she was doing. And at the time, I was very happy doing what I was doing at Bank of America. and. Um, after uh, a year or so after that conversation, things kind of changed for me personally. Um, I, I, want, I was revisiting my career, wanted to, uh, to, to, to cause, my, uh, cause, cause myself to stretch a bit and, mm -hmm. and get out of that comfort zone. 
And I think that's one of those signs, um, you know, when, when you're looking at your career and you're trying to figure out what boxes you want to check, you know, that's one of those areas that, uh, that, that, that's, that difficult chasm to cross sometimes is getting out of that, of that comfort zone. So I forced myself to do that. I really consider this job and obviously I took it and here I am. Um, but, but for me personally, it was, it was a great time and a great option for me to move and, and learn more about the health sector. I mean, to your point, you mentioned some of the budget challenges, but it opened my eyes to a whole new world of things like operational technology, Mm-hmm. And then the bigger issue of medical device security, which is just absolutely fascinating. Uh, I mean, and and you think about the the nature and the makeup of of health ISAC today. It's not just it's not just devices. It's I mean, it's that that's all encompassing, like big pharma, um, right. hu- huge um, like huge companies that are that are really kind of sharing threat information and threat intelligence with you know, with, with smaller organizations, just kind of even just dipping their feet into the threat intelligence world, right? Right. Yeah, and that was some of the things that really excited me about coming to Health ISAC because uh, I, I knew coming into it that member expansion was going to be a, a major part of the, of the strategy going forward for this organization. So growing in areas, uh, including Europe and Asia, are high priorities for us. And so that, again, was something that I was really looking forward to having done a bit of that in my past lives, but being able to build out the membership and then also build out some of our capability there uh, was also equally exciting for me. In fact, we just hired our first uh, threat intelligence analyst in Europe um, the end of, of January. So it, you know, it's just phenomenal to be able to see stuff like that. And, and just the, you know, the sheer excitement in, in the sector and the willingness to share with each other. I just saw like the culture just so much I dare say to at the at the risk of insulting my finance sector friends, I thought the culture here in the healthcare sector was a lot more conducive to uh, and, and being willing to collaborate and share with each other. The amount of energy that I saw happening just was was you know surprising and a very good amount of sharing happening already, and quite a bit of automated sharing happening. Which at the by the time I left finance sector, I just wasn't seeing as much as I do see here. Just amazing. Interesting. And, and, and to that point, what my next question, Errol, was going to be like, what are you seeing in terms of the differences in potentially threats, the threat landscape, the evolving threat landscape between finance and healthcare? If you were to look at, if you were to look at it from that standpoint, knowing that you spent 15 years in, in finance, what do, you, what do you see in terms of like, is there a fundamental difference in, in how organizations are targeted in either sector? Yeah, I think there's there's um, there's definitely plenty to talk about there. You know, on the similarity side, you know, hey, we're we're all dealing with the same IT threats and vulnerabilities, right? We, many of these organizations are 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 some of the first to see new new threats, new exploitation that's happening because they have huge networks. I mean, some of the large members that we have in this organization have have half a million employees with, with, um, with tons of endpoints on their networks. And so, you know, it's no wonder that they have this giant um, uh, network out there or, uh, or sensor network out there essentially, and they're capturing and have visibility into some of the first things that are happening when it comes to new threats and vulnerabilities. So a lot of, a lot of similarity there. Um, 
I do see, and I, I kind of touched on it there, that, that the Internet of Things or IoT that we deal with in the, in the healthcare sector and specifically in the medical device space, you know, it was something that I, I had no experience with coming here whatsoever and that much in the IoT space before coming here. And, and obviously it's a big part of what we do. And, and it's interesting because we've got a, um, in our membership, we do have uh, obviously hospitals and clinics and patient provide, care providers and whatnot, plus other subsectors, but we also have uh, medical device manufacturers there as well. And it's, it's really interesting working um, together with both sides of the table when it comes to the health delivery organizations and those medical device manufacturers when we've got some new major vulnerability coming out that's impacting multiple manufacturers, many, many devices, um, and, and the, the med device manufacturers are coming out with recommendations and mitigation plans, and then the providers have to implement that. And so, you know, they're stuck with the practical reality of how, how do you address some of those things, and sometimes it's not so easy, uh, you know. And, and, and can I separate them on the network or do I have to actually uh, get to the device and do a firmware update to make that update happen? You know, there's lots of practicalities that, that come into play here, uh, depending on what the vulnerability is, what the issue is. So, so that was a pretty big learning curve. And then um, the other one for me also here certainly has been in, in the operational technology, the OT oh, right. space. You know, and I, cause again, I didn't see much of it um, when I was in the finance sector, you know, it certainly exists there uh, to, to a small degree, but you know, not to the scale that we're talking here when it comes to like pharmaceutical manufacturing and all of the other suppliers that are involved in the, in the pharma chain. Um, there's, there's quite a bit of it. So definitely had plenty of conversations about OT security. Interesting. And if you think about too, you're, there's, there's another layer with, with health ISAC arrow, right? Like it's, you're you're talking about you're talking about devices and and IoT and you're talking about the the cybersecurity posture of organizations based on all of the infrastructure around them between systems cloud devices etc. Right. But but there's a lot that rides on things going right and and ransomware attacks not happening to this to a like a processing system at a hospital, right? Where there's, right. where, where you've got lives on the line, you've got patient care as priority number one. So there's like a little bit more to it rather than just sort of the economic impact that would potentially be realized in the event of a data breach at, at some, at a, at a bank, right? Like if you compare yeah, no, to absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, when I was in the banking sector, I mean, I remember having conversations seven, eight years ago about this whole new ransomware thing. And how, how dangerous it was going to be because it's only going to fuel by paying the ransoms. It was, it was only going to encourage the actors to continue to do what they're doing. And of course, you know, here we are today. And I was at the, you know, as a, during the time there in the finance sector, I was, a, I was at the mindset of like, you know, why would anyone pay the ransom? We've just got to cut bait and, you know, restore or live with the fact that you can't recover and deal with it. And now that I'm in the healthcare sector, I, have uh, realized that how naive that was and you know it's just not that simple especially right. as you said when it comes to patients lives yeah it's definitely interesting we could we could go on we could go on for <laughs> a, probably a couple of hours with 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 some of these threads but 
you know, I want to move on to your experience at the McCrary Institute for Cyber and Critical Infrastructure. That obviously gave you even like another dynamic outside of healthcare, finance, and now critical infrastructure. Give us an idea of kind of what your experience um, was at the McCrary Institute, because that's not you. There's not many people, or at least you're probably the one person I know that that has spent significant time at McCrary. Yeah, so th this has been another great uh, piece of the career and really rewarding work that I've had an opportunity to do here because of things like this. So, so you know, a, a big shout out here to Frank Salufo, who I met back in my days at Citibank. And, um, you know, as I had moved through my career and did more strategic planning and started to worry and think about things about, like, for example, how policy, laws, rules, regulations started to influence you know, my daily life when it came to IT and IT security and how that could also potentially impact the business, you know, it started to, you know, the wheels in my head started to turn in terms of like, hey, we have an opportunity here to maybe help influence things and maybe mm -hmm. change things to make it easier for us to be dealing with it during the day job. And, you know, just hey, one quick example, you know, I've, I've spent plenty of time in my career working on penetration test teams. And there was a, there was a time when, when um, there were bills floating around about making um, uh, penetration testing tools uh, very difficult, if not impossible, to acquire. So that would have been, you know, really a detriment to the field, I would say. Sure. So at any rate, um, the the idea was to, you know, try to help influence things like that. And when I was at City, I had a, a great opportunity. I worked for a phenomenal management team there and had a wonderful opportunity to testify before a congressional committee on cyber threats. And I had plenty of meetings with the congressional staffers and, and an opportunity to help shape some of the bills that they were working on, um, even some of the ones in the early days of uh, information sharing and working on bills there that would make that process even easier and better uh, across different sectors. And uh, you know, while it was a little painful to witness uh, some of the details of that process, uh, it was it was a really rewarding experience for me to see uh, you know some of those bills actually become laws uh, a while later, and and to be able to you know again see that that it will, it, it is possible to work that system and and have some influence there. But um, you know, back to Frank though, uh, you know, really great guy to work with. Um, he had stayed connected with me after all those years of. Uh, uh, again, originally meeting him at City, He reached out to me occasionally about various cybersecurity issues that he wanted some insight about how it impacted the finance sector at the time when I was there. And, uh, and eventually just led to the invitation to work with him when he got over to uh, the McCrary Institute. And uh, we, you know, we continued to do some work together and write some white papers and put out some position papers, um, et cetera. But uh, you know, one of the things, as I was looking through my notes here, one of the neat things that we worked on was um, Early last July was actually the 25th anniversary of the of Executive Order uh, 13010, which was the critical infrastructure protection uh, study that the White House did back in in, in um, the 1990s, and that actually led to this uh, Presidential Decision Directive 7 under President Clinton to create the ISACs. So there was um, a bunch of people that uh, Frank had invited through the McCrary Institute to, to write some papers and, and retrospect and think back a bit about some of the things that we've been able to accomplish in the last 25 years. So it was pretty neat. Super cool. 
really, yeah. really cool. I mean, and and you, yeah. if you think about if you think about like you know the the progression of where cyber has started to unfold into the arms of of national security, right? Like you could you could even think about the current situation in Ukraine, um, right? Where as a as a backdrop, where I, I would say I'd argue five years ago when if something if you know if a conflict like this broke out where there was you know where where there was potential war on the line, which there is now, you, one of the first things that we've heard is cyber war or at least cyber you know cyber tactics being part and parcel of you know, the the arsenal of, of Russia as they've as they've gone into Ukraine. What are what are your thoughts there on? sort of the way that cyber has evolved into really more of a mainstream topic because it's so critical when you think about critical infrastructure and you think about basic freedoms. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And, and that's another you know, major area that we could spend lots of time on. Um, but the, you know, one, of the, one of the things that uh, I was trying to work on also with uh, uh, Frank and the McCreary Institute, uh, trying to, trying to help establish what they call cyber norms, if you put that in air, quote, air quotes, um, the whole idea about, uh, about what's, what, what would be okay to do and what we have to stay away from when it comes to you know, warfare and cyberspace and to get some general agreement across countries, whether they work something like that through the United Nations or other international bodies like that, but just mm -hmm. to try to get uh, countries to agree to what the what the rules of the road are, what we should be staying away from, and and sure. again thinking about, you know, the impact that a nation could have by attacking uh, critical infrastructure through cyber means. I mean, you know, we're talking, you know, pretty serious, potentially life impacting harm that could happen from an attack like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I I think that. Um, it's certainly one of the things that I would love to to try to continue to work on if we can get some traction on something like that. But yeah, to your point, you know, it just shows how how serious this is, how real it is. Because uh, mm -hmm. in the past few weeks before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I mean, there was a big worry in the healthcare sector because of some of the potential fallout from um, offensive cyber activity that could mm -hmm. be happening as part of the war. And, and it is because that this sector has been beaten up before unintentionally right. by other um, um, cyber events that have happened that, that were intended for one target, but spread to a whole bunch of others. So there is a lot of, let's say, muscle memory that will react violently to these kinds of uh, situations. For sure. For sure. It's yeah, it's, you know, and, and as that, and as that situation continues, right. And I think in, in many ways, it's still, you know, we, we could probably consider it as deteriorating, um, you know, day by day. I think the cyber, the cyber landscape, I know that, you know, there's most, most vendors. And then I think most cyber teams in, at least in North America, most likely globally are looking at things extremely, extremely carefully so that and 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 not that this ever should be that that case. I definitely am not stating that, but I think the the element of of being more proactive in what you're doing relative to cybersecurity, just at a very high level, Errol, is probably that's probably hitting home for a lot of cyber teams and certainly for a lot of vendors. Like 
like Cyware in the market right now. It's how do we how do we start to how do we really start to get ahead, right? And I think the very nature of of an ISAC itself, in terms of how you share threat information and threat intelligence, is definitely a step toward that. And sometimes sometimes there has to be a forcing function. Perhaps this perhaps this gets people more aware in a more definitive way long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I, some of these successes in the past experiences have definitely motivated me to be, you know, to continue to stretch and to try to tackle some things that I probably wouldn't have done a few years ago. So, you know, kudos to my leadership here for allowing me the, uh, the room to, to be able to maneuver and do things like that. But uh, I'm still hoping to make you know, more of an impact across um, the critical infrastructures and to help in improve information sharing when it comes to. Uh, what we're doing with with each other, for the benefit of all of our members. You got, you got a, well, you've got a, you've got a really cool group, and you've got you know obviously we I've had experience and exposure to some of the guys that work for you, um, you know just top notch all the way and just good people and really innovative in what in what they're trying to do. So I can certainly attest to that and and some of the work that you're doing across the health industry. Let's move to. Let's move to kind of like more, a little bit more back to you in terms of, we talked a little bit about, we talked a little bit about what you've done, what your background is, Errol, kind of like how you've evolved in across different areas of cyber. Where, like, where do you see cyber going within the next, let's just say year, two years, five years? What do you, where do you see cyber going? And then the, I guess the one A would be, you know, how is, how is health ISAC evolved since you've been there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think from the from the cybersecurity market standpoint, um, I know we talked earlier about like automation and, and, and AI and cloud and all that fun stuff. You know, I, I'm a big fan of automation and I see the promise in AI. Um, and, and I think we need it just because we know how much data there is out there. We're all inundated with, a, with an enormous amount of data that, that we need the tools, we need the management tools, we need that automation, we need the AI to help make sense of it all and maybe take some action for us where we don't need to be involved with that. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I remember talk about the, like, uh, the self-healing net, smart networks you know, years ago. Uh, where are they? I hope they're still, maybe that they, they still might come. But um, you know, I think that there's that that, that we're going to have to figure out how we take advantage of management solutions like that mm -hmm. in order to deal with the volume that we have to deal with. And and then secondly, I think that you know we've got to drive solutions for small organizations. Um, and these these small places that have no or or even smaller information security teams. And I guess ultimately my goal is, you know, how, how do we become less complicated on these IT implementations while still being secure? You know, I just, I, I, I think about the time I spent at places like City and Bank of America, and they literally have a small army of people when it comes to InfoSec and, and then talking to organizations who have like one or none when it comes to InfoSec, right. you know, they, they're just, they're, they're just woefully unprepared for what's out there. And I just, I, I feel, I, I'm empathetic to the challenges and problems that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
So along those lines, you know, hey, what have, what have I done here? What have I been working on for the past uh, three years, literally, since I've been with Health ISAC? So, um, you know, when I got here and I'm building out this threat operations center, we wanted to create the capability of, of being proactive and providing content for our members, not just relying on the information sharing that was happening between the members, but also having an operations center on a full-time staff that was responsible for helping foster some of that info sharing, but also pulling together um, and creating intelligence on behalf of our membership. So the next problem is, how do I get all that information to, um, to our members? So some of the challenges that I saw was, you know, getting intelligence out of the email threads and using a tool to be able to deliver it securely to our members. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, and again, it's not like this is a, 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 um, a problem that, that even big organizations have solved. I mean, when I was at Citibank, uh, people would ask me for an intelligence report and I'd have to go back and look through my Outlook email. So Outlook became my repository and oh, it's boy. not a great way to run. Yeah, it's not a great way to run things. And so here, you know, we've, we've, we've invested, you know, funny enough, right? We're going to, we'll talk about Cyware here. We invested with Cyware to, to use um, uh, the tools and now I have a data repository. So any, a member that comes on today literally can benefit from the last three years of of alerts and advisories that we put out. Um, so that was a big, big shift change and a cultural change for us was really using a tool and a publication and a tip like that to, to be able to help service our members. Um, but then also doing things like improving the online collaboration between the members. Uh, as I've alluded to, uh, we've had some great, we've had, we've had a phenomenal board of directors and, and a team that's willing to invest in new staff and, and, and as we grow, we're pouring more money back into uh, new tools and new staff and new technology and new resources. So we're able to do more for our members. So we've added things like more analysis and collaboration and alert generation that I talked about earlier. And then, you know, as I alluded to when, we, when I started answering this question was, um, was automation. And, and so we're using uh, more automation to handle things like um, indicator of compromise distribution, getting things like that to our members. In the last year, we've literally tripled the number of members that are using uh, automated IOC ingestion on their side. And, and then finally, I'll just mention on the back end, just all the ticketing and workflow that we built to, to manage our communications and how we deal with our members. You know, just to give you a an idea of volume here. Last year, 2021, we handled 32,000 tickets in that system, and and uh, and that's with a team of four now five people, you know, processing all of that. So it's a lot of work, but there's a lot of great things that the workflow and the automation can help us um, effectively handle all of that and make sure we don't drop anything. So you know, as we start adding more people, we start adding more analysts. Like I mentioned in Europe, we're going to be adding more there plus Asia. You know, we need that organization and that workflow to make sure we don't drop the ball. That, that's cool. Well, and impressive results too. I mean, the fact that you can, you know, it's not just about the tooling, it's about how you use it, how, what your use case is with it and how you start to integrate it into that workflow to your point, which, which really gives the members something that they can, you know, it's part of, it's part of the deliverable of being, you know, part of the, the health ISAC, which is pretty cool, right? It's, it's almost yeah. kind of like, I guess if you think about it, 
the deliverable from health ISAC to its to its member organizations and members is more about like that's that's threat intelligence that you can't get anywhere you know from an industry and, and or a vertical standpoint that's threat intel you can't get anywhere else that's right awesome super cool i mean i have obviously i'm a, I'm a big supporter of of the isac concept in general um so we're so we're kind of we're starting to kind of creep out of, creep into um overtime here so i've got a couple more questions then we've got our rapid fire round so when you think about your career the journey you've had in cybersecurity, what do you what what advice would you give errol weiss when when errol was was 20 or 21 just coming out of college <laughs> If you had to, if you had to go back and look at that today and review that, what advice would you give the twenty-year-old Errol? Yeah, it's been a been a tough question for me. So, so um, my 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 wise answer here is you're on the right path. Um, <laughs> but but no, seriously, I, I um, I'll answer. Um, I'll give you three short answers here. So, the first is uh, you know find something you like, something that you're passionate about. Something that when you wake up in the morning, you're excited about your job and, and your role in life. Um, number two is you have to soak up the experiences. You have to learn what you like to do. But more importantly, I think you have to learn what you don't like to do and get that out of the way quickly. I mean, I remember even in college, some of the programming classes I was taking after getting through the final exam, I was like, I don't ever want to do that again. You know, and so you, <laughs> you, you got to get out of the way quick. And then third is, uh, is, is a mentor. And I would encourage everyone out there, if you're listening to this, you should definitely have a mentor and you should even be mentoring somebody else. But everyone's got room for improvement and, and um, you should be constantly challenging yourself. I talked earlier about some of the very uncomfortable moves I made coming to the healthcare sector here today. Um, but you have to take charge of your career because nobody else is going to do it. And um, when it comes to the mentors, you know, if you can get one where you're working, that's great. If you can get someone outside of uh, the work environment, that could be even better too, because then they may be able to give you some unbiased advice as well. Totally but uh, find someone, that, yeah, find someone that's a couple of years ahead of you in your career, um, someone that's got a little bit more responsibility, and and uh, someone that you want to strive to emulate. And um, and learn. And I, I still do it myself. I've got conversations with people that I admire and, and, and uh, used to work with and, and learn from still today. So, you know, they can offer you advice, bounce questions off of, and you shouldn't have to go it alone. And it's okay to ask for help. So that's, that's what I would have told uh, Errol Jr. <laughs> I love it. Well, sound advice too. I mean, I think because sometimes people get caught up in you know, if you're siloed into a certain role or you're siloed into into a project, right? I think it, it it's human nature sometimes to to really just want to figure it out and to not show weakness by, you know, asking for help or seeking help. And I think it's really, uh, you know, that's it's really good advice for anybody. I think coming yeah, up into the cyber yeah. world, cyber. Industry. Yeah, because because you know, again, I dare say that you know your manager should be one of the things that they should be doing is looking out for your long long term interest and your career development, and your aspirations. And you should be able to talk with them about this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. For sure. Yeah. Transparency is the new, like that's, that's the new brand of, of management. And that's also the new brand of working in, working in this, in this industry. I think it's, I, I've, I've seen a change over the past couple of years that that's kind of moved this industry and, and organizations in this, in this industry into a, a better place, right? Because you have to, and, and with, 
with the shrinking talent pool in this in this industry in cyber in general i think it's even more important right because like there's mm-hmm. There's going to be more upward mobility anyway, as it is, but it's going to be hard to replace people who are moving up long-term in, in positions that are entry-level positions, mid-level management. So yeah, we've got our work cut out for us in this market. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we were talking earlier about the stresses dealing with everything that's going on today. I mean, you have to think about the mental health and welfare of, of your employees and, and making sure people are okay. And, you know, the, that's all part of it. And, you know, if you're not, talking about those things and not addressing the mental health issues with your employees, you know, you're, you're going to be, you're going to have some problems down the road. Totally agree. I could, I, I couldn't agree more. All right. So one of our, one of our gimmicky things here on Cybercast <laughs> and we, we've kind of gotten away from it, but I think we're, I think we're back to it. If you're, if you're game, Errol, it's our rapid fire round. Right. Um, we've got, we've done 10 questions before we've done five before we'll, We'll level, we'll level this one out at five and I'm just going to, I'm going to fire these at you. Okay. Back to the office. Love it or hate it? Hate it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cyber skills shortage, real or hyperbole? It's real. Mm-hmm. Yep. Zuckerberg metaverse, overrated or underrated? I had to go find out what that was. Um, after watching some YouTube, overrated. <laughs> I could agree more. All right, better vacation spot, Hamptons or Cape Cod? Don't hate me. Neither. A beach about fifteen hundred miles south. That <laughs> I hear you because you're 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 currently in Florida, right? That's right. Yeah. All right. Final question. Live and and I probably know the answer to this. Living in a cold state, New York, or warm state, Florida? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We tip the hand there. Definitely warm. I it's love gotta it. Be, it's got it's got to be warm. No, that's that's awesome. No. Um, you know, Errol, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us. I mean, I just, I can't, I can't express how interesting your background is enough. And then also just like, you know, we've been friends for a while and known each other for, for a long time. So, you know, thank you for, for hanging out today. You're a super busy guy. We're honored to have you. We appreciate some of the, some of the, some of the background and, you know, just everything you've given to our listeners today. So thank you very much. No, Tom, thank you. And I really appreciate you and the rest of the Cyware team helping us out and helping us deliver the capabilities that we do to our members and help ISAC every day. We're, we're, we're happy to do it. And it's, you know, it's a great partnership. So again, yeah, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, hopefully everybody uh, can take some, some really good kind of life lessons and some, and some best practices out of this conversation. So I know I've enjoyed it. So Errol, thank you so much.